Jeff, I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so excited to open uh, God's Word with you this morning. If you would, and you're willing and you're able, can you stand for the reading of God's Word? Be in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. It says this, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Culturally, we've seen an immense drift towards religious nuns. And I don't mean Mother Teresa. Well, no. I try a lot of jokes. Um, <laughs> instead, I'm referring to people who, when they get that dreaded box where they check what, what their religious affiliation is, they check, check religious unaffiliated. And, and some of that is growing because there, there's a number of atheistic impulses in our society. But primarily, it's a drift away from organized religion, organized faith, towards an agnostic spiritualism. People still pray in large amounts today. They Oftentimes, many people pray, even if they don't have someone they're specifically praying to. Maybe they pray to the universe, or they do their daily affirmations to claim the power within. So even though there are a lot of people who uh, would consider themselves spiritually unconnected, unaffiliated, they're still deeply worshipful in their experience of life. In the rejection of religious practices has come the observance of spiritualistic ceremonies. Though they may have left behind the faith of their parents, they continue to seek experiences that are deeply transcendent. In other words, there's no lack of devotion. There's no lack of devotion. And, and when I say devotion, what I mean is either love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a cause, an activity, or a person. It could be rightly said that the main devotion of those of us in the West it is not towards God or faith or religious commitment, but really a devotion towards self. And the good life is seen as one where we reach our potential and we create our purpose, that, that, that we can re fully realize who we are meant to be when we decide who we're supposed to be. And this is the predominant spiritual climate of those around us, a reality that's important for us to consider. And this reality has prompted Christians to respond. And over the last 25 years, uh, Barna Research has found that Christians are five times more likely to believe that, that people are unopened to sharing about faith, that people are not open to talking about Christianity or the church or Jesus or any of those other things, that people just don't want to hear anymore. And this, this thought process has, has brought a natural result. The result is, is that 25% of Christians, 25% less Christians, believe it is our responsibility to share our faith. And this drop is, again, connected to the belief that most non-Christians don't want to hear about our faith. And if we take our cues from pop culture, we might believe this ourselves, right? I can't remember the last time I watched a movie or a TV show and that had a positive representation of Christians. You see, in The, in the Walking Dead, which was a popular show a long time ago, long before it ended, um, there was a priest figure who was a coward, right? He, he, he locks the church before people can, can get in, and it leads to their certain demise, in, in other films and TV shows, pastors and Christian leaders are typically portrayed as judgmental or harsh or worse, evil. But despite this portrayal, which unfortunately has real-life connections and examples they're pulling from, the evidence of research shows that people are actually way more open to talking about faith than we think. In Life, uh, LifeWay did a research study in March of this year, and they found that two out of three people 
two out of three people, so 66% of people, are willing to talk about faith with a friend. Two out of three. And 41% said they're very open to talking about faith with a friend. So not only is there openness, but there's great openness. This is quite different from our perceptions, right? What we think of when we think of the people who are grouped as nuns, what, we, what they think of themselves is very different. But a more important question instead of are they open is, what do the beliefs of those around us have to do with us? Should we be involved in any way in those around us, what they believe? Should, should there be any interaction? Is it, is, it, is it our prejudice that thinks that we need to push our faith on others? Well, it depends on who or what we're devoted to, right? Loyalty and love determines action. Loyalty and love determines action. Because if the Christian faith is really about us and what we get from it and ourselves, then what do we have that's different than the world around us? If our faith is only for us, what's different? But I think Jesus does have something to say. In John 10, 10, Jesus says this, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give rich and satisfying life. Jesus offers an amazing statement. He says, you want to know what abundant life is, you want to be fully actualized, you find life in me the rich and satisfying life. But how is that different than the world around us? Well, the difference is how that devotion plays out. Here again, the words of Jesus in Luke 17. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. If you hold on to your life, you will lose it. But if you let it go, you will save it. So Jesus says devotion in the world tries to achieve good life, the good life, abundant life. But devotion to Jesus actually gives it to us. And it works contrary to the world around us thought process. Instead of holding on to our lives, we need to let it go. So Jesus says a devotion to him results in the same goal, though ultimately through a different process. Devotion to Jesus, instead of pursuing our, our ways and our desires, Jesus says it actually requires us to move from loyalty and love of self to loyalty and love of Jesus. And still, Jesus' way of devotion rewards us with what the world seeks, but never in the way the world gives. But how then do we, as those devoted to Jesus, how are we to grow in this devotion? And what does it have to do with the, with the devotion of others? Does our devotion impact the devotion of those around us? Well, I think Paul has some things to say. So we'll be continuing in our series in Colossians here. And Paul says that, Paul will show us how loyalty and love for Jesus is actually the way to growing in our ability to have that rich and abundant life and invite others into it as well. And so in our time together, we will be looking at Colossians 4, 2 through 6. And so if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn there today. And I also encourage you, if you have a Bible app, you can get that out as well. If you don't have a Bible, that's, that's totally fine. We have Bibles in the back in our connections area in the lobby. We would love to give it to you. You can go out there and grab one. Uh, but as you're turning there, just to catch you up on a couple of, of the context of what we've been going through this book together, what we've seen in Colossians, we see that Paul has written a letter to a church he's never visited, and, and in this letter, he's responding to a number of false teachings, another of, number of false devotions. And if you don't know what they are, you just need a refresher. They, they're this. The, the, one of the false devotions is called legalism. Another is syncretism. Another yet is mysticism. And so legalism is the idea that Jesus, plus keeping the right rules from the Old Testament, is how you get to be saved and made right with God. And so the emphasis was on following the law of Moses found in the Old Testament to try and add to what Jesus had done. This is the impulse of a lot of the Jewish people who, who had converted to the faith, that they thought, yes, it's Jesus plus keeping the Old Testament, keeping the law. And syncretism is the idea that you should add Jesus to the worship of other gods. So just kind of like hedging your bets. You just have a, a room for every god in your house. Just in case you get the wrong one, you at least have the backups. And so on top of worshiping Zeus and Aphrodite, they added Jesus in with it. 
The mysticism taught in Colossae was, was this belief of worship of angels would lead to this special knowledge. And, and so as you can see, there's a lot of different spiritual beliefs, just kind of like the 21st century, right? All around us, there's all kinds of different devotions and belief systems that we exist in. And so Paul wrote this letter 2,000 years ago, but it's very applicable today. In each of these false teachings that existed, they were trying to compete with the true devotion that Paul had taught the Colossian leaders. And his response was to write this letter emphasizing two things that come up again and again throughout the letter. I would say they summarize the whole letter of Colossians, and this is it. Jesus is sufficient, and Jesus is supreme. Jesus is enough, and he's Lord over everything. This reality means that you don't need to add other devotions. Paul is saying there's all these other competing ideologies, there's all these other competing faiths, there's all these other competing loyalties, but all of them don't add to Jesus. They actually subtract with him. Because when you add anything to what Jesus has done, you diminish it. If you add anything to what Jesus has done, you diminish the work of Christ. So it's not about perfect obedience to the law of Moses. It's not about hedging your bets on other gods. It's not even worship of angels or secret knowledge that only exists to some. No, the only devotion that matters is devotion to Jesus. Because Jesus is sufficient and he is supreme. And so Paul was commending and exhorting the Colossians to remain devoted and faithful because Jesus is sufficient and he's supreme. There's no others beside him. There's no others who are worth your time. All the other devotions lead astray. Only Jesus fulfills. And so last week, Pastor David talked about how this reality, that Jesus is sufficient and supreme, how it informs our family and our work, how all of life should be lived in submission to Jesus. That Jesus isn't just sufficient and supreme for our salvation, how we're saved and how we're sanctified, how we're made right, uh, holy before God, but it affects every area of our life. Devotion to Jesus, friends, listen to this. Devotion to Jesus requires our allegiance to play out in every area of life. Devotion to Jesus requires our allegiance to play out in every area of life. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And so if you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and listen. But today, as we look in towards the end of the book of Colossians, we have a couple of practices, and, or a couple of points that I want us to see that devotion to Jesus requires from us. And if I were to summarize all that Paul's getting at in this passage, I would say it's this. In devotion to Jesus is devoted, sorry, devotion in prayer, devotion in practice, and devotion in preaching. Devotion in prayer, devotion in practice, devotion in preaching. And I'll show where they are in the passage. So first he urges them to be devoted in prayer. Look with me again at verses two through four. It says this. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. And so Paul finishes up this letter. He's in, towards the end of Colossians. He says they need to pray. Well, that makes sense, right? If Jesus is supreme and sufficient, he's the one you go to when you need something, right? If, if there's anyone you're gonna go bring your requests to, it's gonna be the one who has all the power, right? And Christian prayer, at its core, is an acknowledgement that God is able and willing to act and move in history in our story. At its core, we acknowledge that Jesus is able and willing to act in our story and in history. And in our prayers, we're to do two things, according to Paul here. We're to remember God's past faithfulness, and we're to request his future faithfulness. Remember God's past faithfulness and request his future faithfulness. He, he, says, he says, pray with a thankful heart. 
That's, that's remembering what God has already done. When we are devoted in prayer, we remember God's past faithfulness. We look back at all that he has done, and we thank him for it. This is a connection where it says, sing and teach and counsel each other with thankful hearts. Now we are to pray with thankful hearts as well. It's not enough to tell other people you're thankful. You need to tell God you're thankful as well. Because devotion in God shows up in our remembering that he is God, and every good thing we have has come from him. He is supreme in his ability and authority, but he's also our good father who gives us good gifts. I'm a dad, and, and right now Elizabeth can't tell me thanks yet. That's okay. I'm patient. Um, but, but I can imagine that if, if all of her life she's just enjoying all these things, but she never says thank you, I'm still going to love her, but it shows that she doesn't understand who I am and who she is, right? I, I try as much as I can to remember my own dad and say thank you to him because good recognize that. Good dads give good gifts, and good kids remember that. Jesus said, if earthly fathers that are imperfect give good gifts, how much more does our heavenly father give good gifts? When we remember who God is rightly, we'll begin to look back at our past and look at our present with eyes open to what God has done. And this will make us alert to be able to see what God is doing now. You see, in our world, we're filled with anxiety and worry, right? All around us, social media, uh, keeping up with the Joneses, all the things that we want in life, they, they cause us to be anxious and worry. But Christians, we have the countercultural remedy, which is this. When, when anxiety and worry keep going up, because we can't control things, we can be grateful for what God has already done. Thankfulness is the remedy for worry. Thankfulness is the remedy for anxiety. Because when we remember that what God has done in the past, we can trust him with our present and our future. When we remember what God's done in the past, that he has opened waves. He let people walk on dry land through the Red Sea. He, he's rescued slaves from slavery. He's done amazing things. When we remember what God has done, we can trust him in, the, in our present, in our future. It is quite possible that the greatest reason we are worried about our future is because we have not ingrained in ourselves the practice of gratitude. A poignant reminder that Thanksgiving may be a day on the calendar, but it should be the rhythm of the faithful not just once a year, but every day of every year. And in our remembrance of God's past faithfulness, we are also to pray to request God's future faithfulness. Paul knew that his mission was to take the good news to the Gentiles. And this is the good news, that Jesus, in the right fullness of time, when, when God had planned it perfectly in eternity past, that Jesus came to fulfill the promises that God had made to Abraham and David and Israel. And that when he came, he brought the new creation into the present creation through his miraculous works, that he taught about this kingdom that changed the world, that he died in our place as we celebrated in communion, and that he rose from the grave, the firstborn from the dead. And this reality changes everything, and Paul was to take this good news to the world. And so he asks his fellow sisters and brothers in the Lord to bring his requests to God. And many of us get this part pretty well, right? We, we recognize that we're supposed to ask God for things. We probably all ask God for something this week or maybe even this morning. I remember at 3 a.m. when Lizzie wasn't sleeping, I was asking for more sleep. Um, and again, a good dad cares about what his kids want. But, but Paul's prayer isn't just a request for something in general. It's for something specific. He asks for opportunities and clarity, right? He asks for opportunities to share the good news. He asks for clarity to speak as he should. And so Paul is showing us here that our prayers can be general and they can be specific as well. That our, speci our specificity of our prayers should be determined by our purpose. Our specificity of our prayers should be determined by our purpose. And what is our purpose? Well, at Highlands, we believe that our purpose is to show the world what God is like. That, that means we should be devoting time in our prayer to, to ask God to help us show the world what God is like, do we? 
Our devotion and prayer should be remembering, requesting, and trusting God's faithfulness. Devotion to Jesus isn't just being willing, to able, willing and able to die for Jesus someday, because it's hypothetical. Paul says devotion to Jesus is to pray to Jesus every day. That's practical. Every day we can choose to be devoted to, to Jesus in prayer. It's easy to say, yeah, I'll die for Jesus, but it's a whole other thing to live for him. And every day we are called to be devoted in prayer to the purpose that God is, has for us as a church and as an individuals, which is to show the world what God is like. And we do this by remembering God's past, past faithfulness and requesting his future faithfulness. This is what Paul says, be devoted in prayer. The second thing Paul says is that we have to be devoted in practice. Look again at verse 5. It says this, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. I remember my sophomore year of high school, I was playing basketball. I know, surprise, basketball, you guys know this. Um, but, but as I was getting ready to go out for the team, I changed schools, and we had moved from Lake Isabella to Bakersfield. And, and I was, like, excited. I was like, okay, I'm, I worked really hard on my game all summer long. I'm ready to play, coach. Put me in. And so I show up for, for, for tryouts, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm going to show them my hook shot. I'm going to show them, like, I've got a jump shot now from, like, two feet out. Like, I am so ready. Um, I'm going to be great. And I got to the park that's about half a mile from the school, and I didn't see any basketballs. And I was like, wait a second. Am I at the wrong park? Thankfully, I was not. Um, the coaches were there, but there was no basketballs. I was like, what's going on? And I found out that the, the first two weeks of tryouts were conditioning. Yeah. Um, I'd spent a lot of that summer working on my jump shot, but I'd also spent a lot of that summer working on my burger eating, you know? Um, I'd eaten a lot of fast food, as you do when you're a teenager and when you're almost 31. Um, but but I, I'd eaten all the wrong foods. And, and so I show up to this conditioning, and we had to do that running drill where you have to, like, you're, you start the back of the line, you have to run the front of the line, and you keep doing that over and over. And I could not keep up with the people around me. They were much faster and shorter, but faster. And, and I remember, like, going home that day, and I was so exhausted. I took one of those naps that when you fall asleep and you wake up, you're like, what year is it? Um, I, and I was just so tired. And we, that went on for, and they, they joked with us. They said, if you want to make the team, you need to run until you throw up. And I was like, coach, I got you. Um, <laughs> multiple times over, I got you. Um, but the next year that I went in for tryouts, so I had a different team. I was like, okay, I'm going to eat well. I'm going to drink well. I've got lots of water in Gatorade because I thought Gatorade was good. I didn't do science, I guess. Um, but I learned the hard way that if I didn't prepare, that I would get the results that I didn't want. Because the problem wasn't the pressure of the working out. It wasn't the running. It wasn't the cardio. The mistake was what I was doing to prepare with my body. Because I learned to be wise in my approach to the event. Because I learned that if I didn't anticipate the outcome of my actions, I would bear the brunt of my consequences. If I didn't anticipate the outcome of my actions, I would bear the brunt of the consequences. Wisdom, it has been said, is the ability to live skillfully in God's universe. I love that. Wisdom is the ability to live skillfully in God's universe. And the Bible is filled with lots of wise and pithy sayings that help us learn to live well in the world around us and how it usually works. But, but do we really think about how we live towards outsiders, towards those who are not Christians? Do you realize that when you step foot out of here, 99% of the people you're going to meet do not love Jesus? They don't even know him. Are we preparing for that? There can be a tendency to forget that just because we have the hope of Jesus and the faith in Jesus, that those around us still have a need. 
So rather than being prepared for these conversations and interactions, rather than praying for these conversations and interactions, we go the route of what's easy and simple. We go down the path of least resistance. We try and fit in as much as possible. We try and look just like everyone else, right? Yet devotion towards Jesus is not about settling into the life of least resistance, but it's living fully faithful to the good news that Jesus has given us. We must consider, what story does, does my life tell to those around me? If people were to audit my life, would they say I'm actively pursuing making much of Jesus? Am I actively working towards being one who wants to show the world what God is like through my life? Is my parenting style, my marriage, my driving, my shopping, my entertainment, my browser history, is it showing the world what God is like, or is it just like everyone else? Because Paul says that we, the world should see Jesus in us, that we need to live wisely towards those who are outside, those who don't yet know. And I'm not saying this to create deep wells of guilt. That's the enemy's job. But I'm saying this because I want to compel us to in, le, incredible levels of intentionality. An unintentional life always leads to the wrong destination. Jesus cares how you act as an employer and whether you pay people fairly, not because he just wants to control your life, but because he wants to give you the good life. Jesus invites us into the good life. And so Paul's commendation here is to live wisely is that same invitation, that the good life of Jesus is the only thing that will make the most of every opportunity. If we live devoted to Jesus in our practice, then we will make the most of every opportunity. But are we living wise? And does the world around us see that in the way we live? And just for clarification, the Greek word here that we translate live, sometimes it's translated walk. It, it most literally means to lifestyle, but we don't have a, an English verb for that. And, and so what it means is, what is the majority of your life show? What does your lifestyle reveal? Not, not moments, we all have moments of failure. I, I am one that's definitely full of failure. We all have moments, but what is the content of your life? What is the majority? Does your character match your confession as one who believes in Jesus and has been changed by Jesus? So Paul is saying that, that our lifestyles should live wisely towards those around us. And all this is still built on Paul's ultimate purpose, that Jesus is sufficient and supreme. Jesus is supreme, so he has the authority to tell you how to live your life. Not me, not the world around us. Jesus is sufficient which means what he commands and gives to us is actually for our good. So let the good life that he has called us do, to the, the good life that he's called us to, do the work that it should do, and which is make the most of every opportunity. Paul says that following Jesus in devotion requires us to be devoted in prayer, and devoted in practice, and also to be devoted in preaching. Look again at verses five and six. It says this, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so you will have the right response for everyone. There's a young family at, uh, that grew up in the same church as I did in Bakersfield. Uh, about 10 years ago or so, they moved to Papua New Guinea. They just took their family and all their things and they, they had worked really hard and they, they sold it and then they moved to Papua New Guinea. And the reason why is because they committed to take the good news of Jesus to a people who had never, ever heard of Jesus. There's this, pe there's this people called the Mali Yali people. 
And, and no one in their family, in the history of their family, had ever heard about Jesus, ever. And, and so they decided in the prime of their lives with their two little kids to just go, sell everything and go. And, and they've spent the, about the last 10 or so years befriending and learning the language and culture of the people there. Over the past year, they finally were able to share some of the Bible stories with these people. And this week, four or five days ago, for the very first time in their people's history, people have come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Some might ask, why would one go through all the trouble and spend the prime of your life doing this? Because Jesus is worth it. Because people need to know. And if we don't tell them, who will? If we don't go, who will? If we're not the ones who, who have the good news, if we won't go, who will? Devotion to Jesus is the willingness to go. It's the willingness to go wherever he leads, even unto the end of the earth. Why? Because Jesus and the good news are worth it. And this family, the Rimsteads, they've devoted years of their lives to know the culture, language, and love the people. And their devotion in prayer and practice has opened the door for their devotion in preaching. Jesus should lead us to do. Not that all of us would, be, would have to move to a faraway place from here, though if we follow Jesus, friends, listen, if we follow Jesus, we need to be open to the fact that he might lead us to do just that because he is Lord of our lives, not us. But for most of us, he's calling us to that same task here in the U.S. where we already live. But are we becoming experts of the language and culture around us? Or are we devoted to using churchy language that excludes and, doesn't, and confuses? Because what it takes to be faithful in Papua New Guinea to the Malayali is the same thing required of us here in La Crescenta, Los Angeles. Just like Pastor David brought up last week from Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, it says this, When I was with the Jews... I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some doing everything I can to save some. Paul says this, he says, there's no cost too great. Paul says in this passage, he says, this is why I am here in chains. Paul's not in prison for doing bad things. He's in prison for being obedient to Jesus. So the cost may be high, but the cost is too high if we don't. But the advantage is here that we already know the language. We generally know the culture, but still we should work hard to, to be able to speak clearly about the good news and when the opportunity arises. Because Paul says the same thing is true in Colossae as it is here. There are plenty of opportunities around us. Are we looking for them? Are we aware of them? Are we living wisely so we can make the most of them? But how are we devoted in preaching? Well, he says it in the way we talk, how and what we say, how and what. <clears throat> the way we talk is supposed to be gracious and attractive. Paul wants to remind us that even though people around us may be misguided and misled and, and they may believe in false teachings, that, that we aren't to go bludgeoning them over the head with the Bible. That, that the way to, to get people to know Jesus isn't to push them away from Jesus with the way we talk. No, we share the good news in a way that recognizes that all of us, all of us are in need of grace. All of us are in need of the saving grace and forgiveness of God. Not just those who don't know, yet believe. None of us have arrived and so when we share, we should share with grace. 
and we are to share it in a way that presents it as attractive to those who don't yet know. Now, this may sound controversial, but it really isn't. Literally, in the Greek, it, it, it says, let your uh, conversation be gracious and seasoned with salt. Has anyone ever had a steak with too little salt? It's awful. So our conversation should not be like bad steak. Our conversation should be attractive. It should be seasoned with salt so that people around us can understand that it's actually good news. Because good news that isn't good isn't good news, right? Simple. But sometimes we have a hard time with that. Our presentation should clarify and even emphasize the goodness of the good news. And what we say should be clear. We as a church have committed to, to making our emphasis to be clear as possible. We may over-explain. You may go, Jeff, why do you spend five minutes explaining that? I already understand that. Well, maybe someone here doesn't yet. Or maybe someone who listens online doesn't yet know it. So we spend a lot of time to be as clear as possible. Because we understand that God uses our clarity to bring people to know him. 99% of the people around us don't understand our churchy specific language. And that's why we, we, again, we explain things over and over. Our sharing of the good news, friends, should not assume that people already believe in the authority of the Bible or that they already believe that there is a God or that they already believe there's meaning to life. Instead, we should graciously and attractively clarify why others should believe as well. We should meet them where they're at, which means that sometimes it won't be solved in 20 minutes. Sometimes it may take 20 years, but people are worth it. People are worth it. And just because they don't have the same presuppositions as us doesn't mean they don't have the same value as us. And so our devotion and preaching is a commitment to walk with and talk with people through their spiritual journey and not just assume that we can jump them to our desired destination. That's hard because we all wish it was a lot easier. But in each of these areas of praying and practicing and preaching, we have the opportunity to show the world what God is like and our loyalty and devotion to Jesus in them, God will bring people far from him to himself. When I got to college, um, <clears throat> I was like 21, so I didn't start quite as late as David, but I was still a little late, and I felt like I was 28, I guess. I don't know how David did it, but when I got there, I, I, my friend and I, who was also from Bakersfield, we, were, we had got some food from Briscoe's. Briscoe's is like the best sandwich shop in the world, and I miss it a lot. My body doesn't, but I do. And, and so we, we were walking out, and we saw the, the campus pastor, whatever, I forget his title. We saw him sitting there by himself. I was like, that's cool. Let's go talk to him. He seems like a cool guy. His prayers are always two seconds, but he is a cool guy. And so let's go talk to him. And I was expecting the usual conversation at this point. Most people, when they met me, like, oh, you're studying to be a pastor. That's cool. What do you want to do for your life? Or they go, well, what do you believe about Calvinism? And they try and start this debate or something. And, and, and so I was expecting one of those conversations because I'd gotten used to it. But what he said was completely different. He said, Jeff, I have a challenge for you. I was like, you don't even know me. How do you have a challenge for me? He says, I can tell you're kind of shy. I was like, okay. First of all, how dare you? Um, I can tell you're kind of shy. I was like, I came up to talk to you. But, um, but I think that you need to learn, what you need to learn to do is to have awkward conversations. And some of you who know me are like, man, Jeff, you figured it out. <laughs> but that's not what he meant. That's not what he meant. That's not what he meant. What he meant was I need to grow in my ability to, to share the good news with people and let it feel awkward sometimes. And I don't know how he knew. I don't know if, like, my, the director of my program called him and said, you need to have this conversation with Jeff. And then, I, I don't know. Or maybe God himself said, hey, this is what you need to say in this moment. Because he was right. I had felt called to ministry. And I wanted to be a pastor, and I wanted to share the good news with people. But let, if I'm going to be honest... Talking is not the first thing I think of when I get out of bed in the morning. 
Talking to people is not my favorite thing to do naturally. And for some reason, I was terrified. I'm terrified of doing this, but I was really terrified of one-on-one. And for some reason, God had him speak to me in that moment. And to be honest, I'm still terrified. It's still not easy. Because I don't want to be thought of as someone who's weird or, 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 or out of touch or trying to force my faith on people or try, trying to make people think something or, or trying to be judgmental. I don't want anyone to think any of those things about me. I like it when people like me. I don't know about you guys. But in all the years since then, I have found that I'm usually more scared than they are. People are more willing to hear than I am willing to share. And that's hard. I don't know if anyone else is like that. But when I've allowed God's spirit to to help me overcome my fear, to help me go into those awkward conversations, to help me sit down at that coffee table with a stranger and just ask them how they're doing, I found that God has consistently showed up in amazing ways. And I found that God is able to use someone as shy and sometimes awkward as I am to share his good news with people. Not because I am something great, but because he is great. In fact, I think he likes to use me because in my weakness, his strength is shown. Being devoted to Jesus requires us to be devoted to prayer and practicing our faith and preaching the good news. And when we do these simple but fundamental things, we see the Spirit of God use us to invite others to himself. But as we close today, where do you need to grow in your devotion to Jesus? Are our prayer lives filled with requests and requests, but not one of remembering God's faithfulness? Is is thankfulness something that's hard for you? Do you find your life is filled with worry and anxiety because you only see all the problems that could happen, but you don't always remember the good that God has done? Does the purpose of showing the world what God's like, does it ever make its way into your prayer life? Is that something you pray for? Does our way of life, does our overall lifestyle resemble people who live wisely to those who don't yet believe? Or do we often resemble people who say they are loyal to Jesus, but we have other competing loyalties beating them out every day? And does the good news of what God has done, does it ever make its way into the conversation that you have with others? If not, why? Is it because we are afraid that people reject will reject the good news? Or maybe we're really afraid of being rejected? All these questions are important for us to consider because loyalty and devotion to Jesus shows up in these various ways. And Jesus, Jesus is worth it. If it were any other cause or any other name, we would be entitled to decline these great responsibilities. But because it is Jesus, and because he is supreme, and because he is sufficient, and because it is our purpose to be those who show the world what God is like, we cannot shrink back. We can't settle into a life of the least resistance because we don't even really want that life anyways. When we, when we come to the end of our life, we don't want to say, well, I settled. I, I, I settled for my job. I, I settled for the life that I had. I settled into what is easy. The good news is, friends, that God doesn't call you to do something without giving you the power to do it. 
The good news is that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That those who follow Jesus, that we are empowered by his spirit to go and do what he's called us to do. We don't do it by ourselves. None of us stands on our own. None of us would even be capable of doing anything on our own. But because of God's spirit, we can be faithful witnesses. We can show our devotion. We only need to seek him and trust him. Devotion to Jesus instead of devotion to self will require us to live out our loyalty in prayer and practice in preaching. But still, it gives us the good life, one with purpose and one that is ultimately satisfying. Because the life of faith, as John Wimber once said, the life of faith is spelt R-I-S-K. Not necessarily easy or the one we would have chosen. Still, Jesus offers us and gives us the good life in him to those who trust in him. Let's pray. Father, I, I am so grateful for the good news. I'm so grateful that Jesus didn't just stay in heaven where it's safe and easy, but that in your great love that you came and died. And that more than that, you've risen from the grave so that we have new life. And the only thing that you ask in return is devotion. Simple but hard. Devotion to you, God, requires so much from us because it goes against the way we're wired because of sin and our nature of sin. But still, God, you, you show us again and again and again that as we walk with you, as we are faithful to you, as we live this life of faith, that it's better than the life we would have chosen. God, I had a lot of dreams for my life that I thought I was going to do. I thought I was going to do this or that, God, but again and again, you changed my plans and you made it so much better. And so, Lord, I just pray right now this morning for all of us who are in this room that you remind us of all the good that you've done for us, all the ways you've shown up, God, all the ways you've come through, all the places in our lives that we didn't know how it was going to make it, but you, by your grace, you brought us through. And this morning, God, I just pray that we would develop a life of gratitude, remembering your faithfulness. But we de de develop a life where we are committed to our purpose, where we constantly ask you it again and again and again to show the world what you are like through us. That God, the way that we live, the practice, that our lifestyle overall would show the world that someone who's changed by Jesus, not because we are special, but because of your Holy Spirit in us at work. And God, would you show us all the opportunities that we've missed and show us all the opportunities we still have, God, not to make us feel guilty, but to compel us to be intentional with the way we live, knowing that through a, a, a wisely lived life, people will come to know you. And Lord, would you, through our lips, through the conversations we have, God, we, we, we recognize that it's not our job to reach the whole world, but it is our job to share your good news with our whole world, with those you put in our lives. Lord, would you compel us to greater faithfulness in this area? Would you compel us to continue to, to follow you devotedly? And Lord, maybe for someone who's here for the first time, they don't understand the whole faith thing. They're trying to figure it out. They just, they're just trying to put pieces together. God, would, would the devotion that Jesus calls us to, would it, would it show itself as what it really is, which is the good, abundant life? And Lord, for those of us who follow you, would you just continue to call us into greater devotion and faithfulness? Lord, help us to repent for the ways that we haven't lived up, but also <clears throat> to compel us to the ways that we still can. 
We thank you so much that you're going to do far more than we can ask or imagine according to your riches in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.